You guys got an hour's more sleep. I hope you're going to be more active than the first service. Uh, wow, Chris, 24 years. That is insane. Um, you know, I came out of law enforcement, actually, uh, to go into ministry full-time when I came here. I'd been a cop for about seven years when I left and came here. Uh, we moved our whole family here. And uh, I think it took a former cop to get that thing off the ground with the people that we brought in here. And it helped that before that I was a juvenile delinquent. They got saved and was clean for five years before I became a cop. And uh, I remember the first time you got up and, and you spoke. Here's what happened. I'll talk about this in a minute. But once we got this thing off the ground, we had the, the church at that time, Hedgesville Church, Hedgesville Assembly of God it was called, was probably, I don't know, 125 people showing up on Sunday, 150 or something like that. Maybe they only had one service, I think, um, in that small building. Well, it wasn't long before we had over 100 kids coming to youth on on Thursday nights, but only like three of them went to church there. Most of them were hoodlums. We, we we said we went to the holler in the hood and brought them in with vans. And it was absolute chaos. We needed a cop working here, didn't we? And I had my friend who went to Bible college, and he's a full-time pastor, incredible. He was a youth pastor at the time. Now he leads a church of a couple thousand people. But back then, he was a youth pastor, and he was polished. And, you know, I was, yeah, let's just say he was khakis and polo shirt guy, and that was never me. And uh, and he came out, and he spoke when I was out of town. And he was a great youth pastor, great speaker. He came out and spoke to the group that we were drawing. He said, man, I ain't ever doing that again. That is crazy what you got going on. But Chris got up, and, and of course, after we got it off the ground, and we'd been doing it for two or three years, I guess, and some of you know some tragedies we went through here, there was a part of me was like, there was a lot happening that, that Chris, you and Beth had worked through some stuff um, and stayed the course, and you have some great great leaders here that went through some challenging stuff to get this church to where it is today, and volunteers behind them. Uh, but, you know, there was a part of me that saw all the chaos that was going on. You know, it's a, it, when you go to a fancy restaurant, it's nice to sit at that white tablecloth and have your dinner, but the kitchen is chaos. And once I went into ministry full-time, the kitchen was chaos here, let me tell you. And, uh, I mean, I was part of it too, but there was a mess. And, uh, and but I thought, I love these kids. We can never leave here. This is where we're going to be forever. And that's cool, I guess. But there was a part of my flesh that was like, I mean, I loved all the kids, but I was like, we're not leaving. Nobody's coming out of Bible college and taking this thing over and going to be here to, you know, ride this. It ain't going to happen. They're going to show up one time and leave like Stan, my friend. And, uh, and, and then Chris, you got up and spoke. And I feel like it was the Lord said, that guy's going to take your place. And of course, it was another two, couple of years down the road because you had the baby and then you left and then you came back and worked with the youth ministry. But I have a picture from the day that I said that to you. I said, man, you're going to take my place here one day. And we weren't going to leave till it was clear that the Lord was telling us there's the next thing to do. God's calling you to go do this other thing. And that took a couple of years, but you did. And that's exactly what happened. It's pretty amazing. So pretty crazy. All right. We're going to do a couple of songs because Chris asked us to. We brought our band in the box. I want to publicly apologize to Bob Hahn, my favorite drummer, because uh, he usually plays drums. This is a song I wrote for my wife. It's on our record, uh, Still Moving Targets. And uh, hopefully we'll do a better job we did in the first service. That's better. All right.
tell inmates you know we I say uh, we tell them the whole story which I think is probably online it's definitely on the DVD that we'll put out um, that's out in the lobby but 
uh, how I met this girl. I used to live with this girl I met in the seventh grade, Mr. Mikowski's homeroom class, and how we moved in together, and we were all on drugs together. We'd both been kicked out of high school and got in trouble. Of course, I don't tell them it's her. You guys know this, right? And uh, how on November 19, uh, 23rd, 1982, strung out, you know, uh, I was had been drunk seven nights. I mean, solid drunk. I was a huge liquor drinker back in those days. And... Uh, you know, using drugs. The lights are getting turned off, but I got beer in the fridge, liquor on the counter, and weed in my pocket. Obviously, a values problem happening there, right? But my mama told me about Jesus, and she didn't stop praying for me. And I don't know why God let me see that I was trapped, and the only way out was going to be Jesus. But thank God she took me to church. I tell inmates I had a drug problem from the time I was born. My mama drugged me to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And uh, the word was planted, and I also tell them I was a spiritual schizophrenic because I went to a free will Baptist school. My mom, from kindergarten to the sixth grade, she worked two jobs. My dad had gone to prison, and she worked two jobs to uh, keep us in this little Christian school that was free will Baptist, and nothing against the free will Baptist, but this was like super free will Baptist in that your hair is over your collar, you're going to hell. Wearing pants, you going to hell, Susan. Makeup? You going to hell. Rock and roll? Hell. And then on Sundays and Wednesdays and revival time, we went to a Pentecostal church. Hyper Pentecostal church. I still remember a lady. I was about seven years old. She was running around the whole outside of the chairs or pews, screaming in tongues. Her wig flew off and she kept right on running and praying in tongues. And by the time I hit tw- at 12 years old, I said, I'm not going to use drugs, I'm not going to drink, and I'm not going to smoke cigarettes because it's messed my family up. All I come from a long line of hell-raising men and church-going women, and I was on that path. At 12 years old, I said, I'm not doing any of that. At 13, I was doing all of the above in excess. And uh, my little brother, I led him into all of it four years sooner than me. And so we both got in a lot of trouble with the law and whatnot, and, and then I... Moved in with a girl that I met in Mr. Minkowski's homeroom class, and we were getting in trouble together. And uh, God radically saved us on November 23rd, 1982. I got on my knees, crying like a baby. Had you know, Back then I had long hair and the earring, and I was you know, into heavy metal and southern rock and all that. I tell inmates, I could have long hair today, um, like, like Brother Tim here, but I would have a skullet bald on top business in the back so I don't do that I tried and my kids got me straight um, and thank goodness I can wear a hat until the first service because I still have corona or I haven't been to the barber yet since all this stuff happened but uh, 30 days later that's in third three weeks later we got married this December will be 38 years so that's all I need to say about Jesus being real to anybody and uh so we did a, uh, a song in the first service. We'll do with this one. Check, check. Are we in the? I don't think we're in the monitor very much, like we were in the first service. Um, we have not. That song you just heard. Listen, we try to build bridges outside of church. Next Saturday, we'll play at a KOA in Virginia Beach, and we're not going there to minister and, and preach and all. We're going to have give people music at a campground. Now, we're doing two churches while we're down there on the Sundays, but on Saturday nights, we're playing music at the campground, and they're giving us our lodging. It's kind of a working vacation. Our kids are going to come in in the week. Um, But we don't really have to preach a whole lot 
somebody to come up and ask us, hey, what are you guys? You guys are great. What do you do? Oh, we go into prison. What? Oh, really? And, and, you know, the fact that, uh, we're, we're married, you know, a lot of, uh, husbands and wives, once they, their kids grow up, they find out they don't like each other and they get divorced. You've heard stories like that. Maybe you lived through that. That's terrible. I think part of that is you weren't living a great adventure together throughout those years and you separated, went different, different directions, but nevertheless, um, that uh, that song that you just heard, that was a very professional track. We did a whole album with a producer and everything, and, and we got it at a very good rate. You guys helped us produce it, and we've used those tracks. There's 10 songs on it, and then we've got other tracks we use. But those are original songs that we play to thousands and thousands of inmates around the country. So thank you for helping us to get the album done. Now we use the tracks from when we don't have a band. Um, but we go in the prisons to do three things, to entertain, to equip, and to evangelize. So I, I'm not really fond of when I say, how many of you guys never come to chapel and only a few raise their hand? I want the sinners. I want the heathen. And I want to have a good time with them, rocking, making music. And then maybe they'll listen to what I have to say. Once I give them something of value, once we give them something of value. And so we're going to do another record. And I'll tell you why, too. We're doing these videos. I'll talk about those in a second. And this will be the only, the second time we've played this song uh, outside of uh, our little Coronaville at home. Um, it, it came about the third day, maybe, I don't know, right after they shut everything down. And uh, I felt like it was just... I actually wrote it one morning before Susan got up, and then she helped me write some of it. So we're just going to give you the scratch version of it. Is that okay? We're going to have a little rehearsal in front of you. So it could be a treat or a train wreck. I don't know. Um, but we're going to try. This is. It'll sound much better when it's produced, but here's the uh, scratch version of it. When the enemy comes in like a roaring... Wait a minute. Now, you guys can clap if you know how to clap on beat. We don't have a drummer, all right? And you don't have to clap the whole song. You can just get us going, and then you can be like, I'm getting tired of this, and you can kind of fade out like churches do. When the enemy comes in like a roaring lion and worries on your mind, when you can't sleep cause the water's so deep, you can trust in me. When the waves roll so high and the wind blows you down, when anxiety shatters your peace, you can trust in
Well, I think that's a good word for all of us. You know, I, I didn't even know what a stay was when I wrote the song. I was like, what is a stay? What am I talking about? I, mean, I kind of did, you know. But I looked it up, and a stay, one of the definitions of a stay is it's the cables and the wires that keep the mast of a ship from collapsing in the middle of a storm. And uh, isn't that awesome? That's who God is with us. And, you know, the song, I, I wrote it in first person, and... You know, I kind of wrote it so that, you know, I want people maybe that aren't believers to at least hear the song. I didn't want to make it, you know. But I thought about us as believers. Like I could say, you know, God will be your stay. But I thought if God is going to be the cables and wires that keep my mast in place in the middle of a storm, he's going to use people to do that. He's going to use the body of Christ to help me through those seasons. And so it doesn't do any good to have a relationship with just the head. We need a relationship with the body of Christ, right? That's part of the Christian walk. So... I wanted to oh, tell you about a couple of things. Um, we've got some resources out there on the on the table, and uh, we don't we don't come to sell books, um, but we will sell you some stuff. No, really, we we like to think of it as donations. I don't really. Now, what happens is we used to just say donation. You know, if you don't have something, put it in the basket or on the table. And you know what people do, right? They come up and take a big handful of stuff that costs you money to make them walk off and don't give you anything. And uh, listen, if you're that desperate, come see me personally and say, I'd really like a copy of that. Let me know your name and talk to you for a minute. We'll give you whatever you need. But uh, so there's some CDs. That first song we did is on it. And uh, this is what you helped us do most recently. We were, um, we, we typically, I know some of you know our story. Probably the only people that really relate are our heroes that uh, do far more than us on the road is, is the Lucier family. Um, so in 2011, we, we were full-time pastors, and but we had this call. From the time I was 19 and came to Jesus, I wanted to use something I love, music, to tell people about the one I love, especially people far from Christ, that they may never come to church. Do you know there's going to be people in heaven that never came to church? You'll never become who God wants you to be without other believers helping you, plain and simple. So you're you're kind of robbing yourself if you don't get involved with a local body of believers. But uh, but so we we pastor people in our community. We pastor people that that don't go to church. I mean, we, not like we meet together with them, but they'll, they'll you know, text me, "Hey man, you're my spiritual advisor. Can I ask?" Because we went out and built bridges to them, and I want them to go to church. But if I'm the only person between them and eternity, you know, wow. Thank you, God. So we were on the road. We, we actually loaded up our camper. We started doing this in 2011, full-time in 2012. We moved into a camper full-time, and we were doing the whole loser thing. And we were ready to do it forever. Then God provided us a house without wheels to live in when we weren't on the road. So we hit the road for usually six to eight months a year. We were full-time traveling, living in the camper with our three little chihuahuas and uh, doing nothing but mostly prisons. We do Sturgis. We do Daytona Bike Week. We'll do, we'll do other things like halfway houses and stuff like that, go in and do acoustic shows, but mostly state prisons, not local jails, state prisons. And uh, and so <clears throat> we had loaded up the camper, and I was going to say, all the losers can relate to this. You put together a set. You guys put tons of money and effort and work, and you get hit the road, and now you've got... So we do this, not quite the same set we can't take into prison, but we do get everything ready to be gone from our house for eight months. And all the music, we rehearse, we get our sets down, messages down, all that stuff. And uh, then we get six weeks on the road, and boom, everything shut down. And so it's so awesome that this church was already full on with the streaming, by the way. Because you guys hit the ground running. And I watch, usually on Sunday when I was home, I watched three different services. And, uh, and 
one of the services, well, both the services that I watch are churches that are three times or more the size of this church, but you have more online watching. <laughs> In the beginning, anyway. And so uh, we were like, well, Lord, what do we do? What do we do? We can't go into prisons. This is what we do. You know, and uh, and so I was like, we were parked at a friend's house in Florida. I said, well, let's set our stuff up in that shed. I, I prayed, Lord, show me the, the possibility and the problem. Show me the opportunity and the obstacle. And maybe you're faced with whole different circumstances through this uh, virus thing. Maybe you're online and you're, you know, you just don't know what you're going to do. Pray that prayer. Lord, show me the possibility. Show me the opportunities that are there. And God will give you ideas. This idea never occurred to me. I was like, hey, let's take our iPhone. Let's set our sound system up. Let's just do a full-on concert ministry event like we're talking to inmates. You see, inmates don't get streaming. They still watch DVDs in prison. Some of you are going, what's a DVD? Uh, and and so that's what we did. We, we set up right there and did like an hour. Well, we probably recorded an hour and a half. And then we got home. We finally got home like a, a month later. We said, you know, they're not going to open anything back up. So we unloaded everything. And uh, and then I got in touch with several friends and said, why don't you contribute some to this? And uh, and what, is, what it's done is we've we've sent these out to prisons all over the country. And you guys have helped us do that. It's let the inmates know we haven't forgotten you. Look, it may be a DVD, but aren't you thankful you guys that do the Facebook thing or internet or streaming that you have, even if they shut us down completely and you cannot leave your house, you have connection to people to encourage you. Well, in prison, they don't have that at all. So this is that. And so uh, I got in contact. I said, why don't I get a hold of some friends and put more people into this this video and, and let them say hello or whatever. And it's given birth to the whole new dimension of our ministry of how we can do more and more of this kind of thing. But I want to show you a, a, just a sample of what you've helped us put out so far. And uh, then I'll, I'll read you a letter we just got last week. sin is. It's a trap. It's only fun for a season. The pleasures of this life are fun for a season, pleasing for a season. Then the trap closes down. Hi, I'm Reverend Tony Loeffler from the International Solid Rock Ministry, uh, located in West Palm Beach, Florida, sitting in my office, thinking of you men and women in prison. Hey guys, this is Stan Grant. I'm the pastor at Cloverdale Church in Midlothian, Virginia, which is right outside of Richmond, and I just wanted to say that we are praying for you guys, have not forgotten you. Uh, you are a part of the body of Christ and very, very important in the kingdom. Tonight there'll be no blues around here. Check your blues at the door. Check your blues at the door. Hey everyone, my name is Chris Jones. I am pastor of Hope Community Church in the hills of West Virginia. And I just want to let you know today that we are praying for you. Uh, your part 
of the move of God across this earth, and we are praying for Hey, what's up, guys? Just wanted to say hello. I'm the pastor at Horizons Church in Northern Virginia, and just wanted you to know that we are praying for you. We're great friends and supporters of Mark and Susan Mason. you out of the darkness into the marvelous light and what a crazy testimony of you um in like in a jail cell right now ultimately with the joy of the lord and it's not based on my circumstances i've got what i need i'm a holy priest in this place hey Yeah, that's just a promo we put together for chaplains. Chris Dew down in Anderson, South Carolina. If you watch this, I'm holding true to my word. Chris, you should have Chris Dew come speak here. He has an amazing testimony. He knows Nate Clark, and that's how we connected. God delivered him from heroin addiction, and amazing testimony. But all the people in that video are just wonderful, awesome. Some of them are my mentors and pastors, and they all share uh, on the on the DVD. But I just got this. We got this from uh, from an inmate down at Florida Reception Center in Ocala, Florida. Um, I am the chapel clerk. She's an inmate that works with the chaplain here. And I wanted to say thanks so much for the two good infection videos. That's what we called it, the good infection. In the middle of this bad infection, we use C.S. Lewis's term, the good infection for the gospel. Thanks for the two good infection videos you sent. I scheduled three days next week, June 9th, 10th, and 11th, to show the videos to the compound. Do the social distancing. We can only do it one dorm at a time. Uh, but I'm getting it out to as many as possible. Many of us were disappointed that your April 11th concert was canceled. Your video is right on time. We have had no services since March. Please tell everyone that took part in making the video that we appreciate the Jesus in them, uh, that they remembered those of us in prison. So I'm telling you. That's from Lori. And uh, that's resulted, this has resulted in in actually getting uh, invited to prisons we've never been to. We got more addresses of chaplains that might like one from other prison ministries and whatnot. We just contacted them and said, you want this? And so uh, we've. Our, this is the first one. And guess what? I'm not a video editor. I guess I am now. I figured it out, right? I was like, well, how are you going to respond when something just shuts down everything? You're either going to play defense and crawl in a hole and just wait for it all to pass, or you're going to get up and fight. God's given us the full armor of God. We can do something constructive in the middle of it. And I'll talk about vision here in a minute. That's what my message is about. But uh, anyway, we've, we now have done the Good Infection 2.0, a second DVD, which gave, while we were working on that, we set up a studio in our house. It's a little little more flashy. You know, we can make it a little better at, with the tools I have at home. But uh, 
that gave birth to the idea of why don't we just, we're calling them hope injections. You know, why don't we just start putting together these packages? I, you know, I'm, I just see like boxes that have books, that have CDs, that have gifts for the chaplains. Man, they are underdogs like you wouldn't believe, facing obstacles, working in a secular system, but trying to be a pastor and a spiritual leader is tough. Let me tell you, I got a 14-page letter I mentioned in the first service from a chaplain talking about what she's facing and the prayers she needs. The more, the most I hate to say the most, but let's just say one of the most incredible. You know, not all prison chaplains act like pastors. This one does. Okay, some of them just do a state job, uh, and and those are the ones we typically don't get in to do because they don't want to go the headache of getting all of our equipment in and everything that we do. But uh, pray for her name is Deborah, by the way. Put put that in your notes. Pray for Deborah uh, down in Florida, chaplain. I mean, the, the devil would love to take her out. She's facing a warden. That is, that is just opposed. Not a warden. Actually, I think it's an assistant warden. Um, but man, we'd hate to lose her. So anyway, in these hope injections, we would want to put resources to encourage those chaplains. And the beautiful thing about something like this is, you know what this is? This is history. This is how the church responded. The church on the outside responded to the church on the inside in the middle of a crisis. When everybody thought we were going to lay down, hunker down and set up our, you know, get all of our, our uh, survivalist mentality on and, and forget about the rest of the world. This will go in the prison library and I'll guarantee you there'll be prisons. It'll be there 20 years from today. It'll still be sitting there that they can pull it out and look at it and see this is how the church responded in 2020 to that stuff that hit the world. So thank you for doing that. And we just, we just want to, you know, we'll, we're going to, if matter of fact, uh, if you on your chair is, uh, you could probably find one of these. You've helped us give out, I'm sure, over 100,000 of these things, which is just our testimony. And we give these out to all the inmates so they can write us or, or whatever and find us when they get out. And sometimes, you know, we'll have family members contact us and or you make a donation to us because they've talked to their whatever and they have the contact information. And so you can check out all of our stuff at lifeontheverge.com. I do a podcast that you can link into there. And But these things, this is so valuable, just a piece of paper. We started giving these things out, uh, a different version of it in 2012 is when we started giving them out. And we still have inmates run up to us with like seven-year-old flyers that will go to a prison and they're still there. You know, we see them at another prison they've been moved to and they're like, I remember, they'll get us to autograph these. I mean, they so much value what we bring, what you guys send us in to do. And they say all the time, they say, man, the music was awesome. The preaching was awesome. But just the fact that you showed up, that says it all. You see, because there's people, who knows, maybe people that were raised in this church that are in prison today because of something stupid they did. And they're wondering, hey, where's the church now that I'm in prison? And uh, and so thank you for helping us be there and represent. Oh, I was going to say, I'm going to speak from a book that I wrote last summer. Um, where our schedule worked out to where I could write a little bit every, you know, every day that we didn't have prison stuff. And it, I, it started out just to be an ebook, and I think it became 20,000 words. And actually, you wrote a little forward piece to it or whatever. But this is the only print copy, the manuscript, that we want to actually um, get in print and make available to people like you. But we want to send it out to prisons, too. Um, it, the title is Thrival Mode, Using the Power of Vision to Ignite Your Passion for Living. A lot of people go off the rails because they have no vision about where they're trying to get and so that's kind of what the book is about. But if you get your phone out, everybody hold your phone up. Break it out. And, you know, that's what they do in rock concerts now. In my day, it was a big lighter, man. 
huh? And when you lit all those people lit those lighters, you know, at, at whatever the Van Halen concert, you could see the cloud of pot smoke just hovering over the crowd. Jesus is good. He saved me. <laughs> if you go to lifeonthevergecom right now, I'll do it with you. All right. So I'll give you time to do it. Um, as you guys are online, if you go here and check it out, you'll get a free copy of this book if you want it. Uh, you read on your reader. Um, if you go to Life on the Verge, I'm going to do it. You guys go in there? Lifeontheverge.com. And if it doesn't work right, let me know because I'm like my own web designer right now. And I'm also on Verizon, so thank you very much, Hedgesville Extended Network. Um, anyway, there's a place if you put your email. Listen, I send out an email once a week, maybe once every other week, talking about what we're doing. Sometimes there's a devotional. Sometimes, you know, we're raising money for something. If it gets on your nerves, unsubscribe. But if you enter your email, you know, you, you guys that do much time online, you, you know the drill. Uh, right there, you put your email in, it'll send you to a link, and you can download either the PDF or EPUB if you read on an Apple device of that book. So if you appreciate what I say today, you can read more about it, okay? I said, okay? Come on, wake up, people. I, I think I said all that preliminary stuff, and now I've got 12 minutes to preach. So... No, but listen, you know, if, if you read the book, you can get more detail, and I encourage you to do it. If I'm talking about vision. I'm talking about getting a picture of a preferred future in your mind, and, and let's start at this point. If, if I ask you, a lot of people ask, ask uh, me, what is God's will for my life? Or you've asked that question, what is God's will for my life? Let me tell you God's will for your life. You ready? It's that you thrive. That's what the book is about. The word thrive means to grow, to prosper, to advance, to take ground. Who doesn't want that for their kids? How much more must God want that for us? That with, and, and I talked to the first service that to prosper, well, now the church has adulterated that word at times, different parts of the, to make it look like it's just finance. It's just fancy cars and big houses. But what good is that if your health is falling apart? What good is that if your friendships are falling apart and your marriage is falling apart? True prosperity is in every area of your life. You have a balance. You stay in tune. Um, for sake of time, I won't do it. I'll just point at it in the service. But my guitar, I use it. I say, you know what? There's six strings on this guitar. Um, and I look at it and I go, yeah, there's six, at least six areas of life. There's my faith. There's my fitness. There's my family. There's my finances. There's my friendships. And there's my field of endeavor, which is my vocation. I want to sing my song in tune. So I need to stay plugged into the tuner because those strings are under constant tension. So they're going to go out of tune. But true prosperity is that all the areas of my life are in tune. It, to prosper means, the Bible word means to advance, to be successful, to thrive. When David wrote in, in Psalm chapter 1, talked about the righteous man prospers in all he does. Right? That word prosperity means to advance, to be successful, to thrive. So I believe that God wants our lives to thrive. And this message is for any, this isn't about name it, claim it, or all that kind of stuff. This is simply about what do you want for your kids? Do you just want them to have a great job? Do you just want them to find the right, do you want them to thrive in every area of their life? Is that what you want for your children? Wouldn't it be weird if your kids came up to you and said, hey, mom, dad, what do you want me to do with my life? What is your will for my life, mom and dad? You, you don't want to dictate everything. You, you know you've planted principles in them, hopefully, you want them to live by. But you say, the world is your oyster. Go and, and be successful. And I'm your counsel. You can come to me with questions. But I'm not going to dictate every area of your life. Sometimes we look at God like we're waiting for him to write on a wall, here's what I want you to do with your life. 
There's a scripture in the Proverbs, and, and it says, the horse is made ready for battle, but the Lord brings the victory. Who gets the horse ready for battle? We do. So we have a role to play in the construct of our lives. And that comes to my second point, which is to, to thrive, you need a passion-producing vision for your life. Vision being a picture of a preferred future. You know, I, uh, I always use the example of Thanksgiving dinner and how, you know, if you're one of those people that make a big Thanksgiving dinner, man, you put a lot of vision into that dinner. Do you realize that? You get it in your mind. We're going to have this and we're going to have that. And you get it in your mind before you go to the store. You get it in your mind, you write it on a piece of here. You get a vision, you get a strategy, and then you act on that strategy and you go get the food and you make that dinner. A lot of times we'll put vision into those things. We'll put vision into our vacation, but we don't really seek God and do whatever we can do to say, okay, what is possible? What, what could be? What, what should be? What must be with my time on this earth? What is the thing that you're calling me to do, Lord? Well, a lot of times that's wrapped up in your own desires, by the way. It says in Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. I used to think that, oh, that means that if I delight myself in the Lord, if I do the God stuff, if I go to church, if I raise my hands high enough and I, I shout loud enough, then, then God's going to give me what I want. It's better than that. You know how Elmer says, talks about your want to? God changes your want to. He gives you the desires of your heart. He makes you desire the things that are best for your life. So your desire can be healthy if you're living in Christ, understand? So that's one way you figure out. There's a lot of people that are miserable in their jobs because they've never really sought God for the vision for their life. What would I really do? What would you really do? If you walked up to me and I could write you a check for a million dollars, never mind the, the vacation, never mind the, the boat or the whatever, all those fancy things that are going to eventually wear off. That's What are you going to do productive with that money? Most of you got a $3 vision. Most of us have a $3, should say us. We have a $3 vision, but we want a million dollars. Hear what I'm saying? We want to win the lottery. That's why the lottery kills people, because they have no vision for that money. And so this is all about what would you do? You understand we serve a God that can provide whatever you need to do whatever. I mean, we have a role to play, get the horse ready for battle. There's part of what we can do. I'm sure I've said this here before. This is a life principle I live by. Do all you can where you are with what you have, and God won't leave you where you're at. So bring it to the miracle moment. Bring it to all that's missing is the miracle. And we've seen it time and time and time again, especially since Life on the Verge, that if I will just do it, if you will just fill out the application or the resume, if you'll just get a vision about what you would do, God, if you would open the door. The cool thing about it is that you can put tons of hours and time and effort into something that you have a vision for, and all of a sudden God says, nope, not that, but this. But all of this played into it. If you hadn't done this, you would have never got there. You hear what I'm saying? So how do I get a passion-producing vision? Listen, vision is important. It'll lead you. It'll give you a reason to get up in the morning. It'll point your dollars. It'll point your time. You hear what I'm saying? Vision always precedes provision, especially in the kingdom of God. You get a vision, God will bring that provision when you need it. I'm looking at Tim right here who runs a, uh, a shop in his backyard and sells fancy, fancy firearms from weight, muskets that are like this tall. And I remember, you know, yeah, God knew that was in you, that that's what's going to bring you real joy. And, and he was doing another job, but he had, you know, more and more like, yeah, he couldn't see how, he started to see what could be. Then it became what should be. Then it, this must be, this must be what God is calling me to this. And now would you say you have a back order of like five, four or five years? Of, of people ordering these these guns that cost what two million dollars a piece? <laughs> That's a power of vision, though. Listen, 
And so how, how, do I, how do I get this God vision? I'll go through this in detail in the book, and if, if, if this is kind of pricking something in you that, hey, I would like to look a little deeper, read it. You know, it's, it's free. Um, one way is obviously prayer. You know, that's a no-brainer. You know, w- before we started Life on the Verge, here's what I did. I, I was like, you know, I'm now in my... 40s, I guess, mid 40s, and uh, and I was about ready to sell off all my music gear, and then the Lord kind of checked my heart. I met Jimmy Bratchers in that video, and I was like, "That's what you want to do." I was like, "Yeah, it is," but I don't see how it could ever happen. So I started writing songs in my bedroom at home, but I was pastoring a church, and I thought, "That's cool. I'll die here pastoring this church. I love these people. It's fine, you know." But then I was writing songs, and I was like, "Wow, these songs! I really love. You know, I'd love to use these songs to. Every artist wants their music to bless somebody or whatever. And I'm like, but I got nowhere to play." I'm now I'm getting mad at God. I'm like, what, what are you doing? Why are you giving me ideas and songs? And I got nowhere to play them, right? And, uh, and, and it slowly but surely, you know, I started to, 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 uh, to say, you know, I, I think God is calling me to do something like what Jimmy Bratcher does, but I have no idea. How do you start something like that from the ground up? And I started to get really mad with God because I didn't know where to turn, how to do this. I just knew I had a could be that become a should be that was all of a sudden feeling like a must be, but I don't even know what to do. So I, I, I took the prayer of Caleb, where it says that Caleb was 80 years old. He'd marched through the wilderness for 40 years. He'd already got a glimpse of the promised land, if you remember with the story. And here he was 80 years old after all that time in the wilderness. And uh, he looks at Joshua and says, hey, I'm just as strong as I was the first day we walked in here. Give me my mountain. So I took that scripture, give me my mountain, and I put it all, everywhere in my house. I put it on the front door. I put it on the mirror. I put it in my closet. I put it anywhere that I would look. And I prayed, God, give me my mountain. I don't even know what my mountain looks like, but I'm not too old. I'm just as strong as the day I got saved. Give me my mountain. What'd you make me for? Why are you giving me? I begin to petition heaven, man. I don't know. I think about that scripture that says this kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. And I'm preaching to myself. Sometimes we need to pray a little more violently than we do. But those violent prayers led to the first little step that led to life on the verge beginning to unfold. I had no idea it was going to be a prison ministry. That's not, I just wanted to take what I love and use it to reach people to tell them about the one that loves me. And once I, we ended up in, in prisons, I was, and when we're in the, listen, I get down and out just like anybody else in leadership. You get worn down all the hours on the road and all. But when you get in front of the, when we get in front of those people, we get in that place, that sweet spot that we know, who would imagine? Two juvenile delinquents that came to Jesus, got saved. Then I spent 10 years as a cop which is a miracle, work for cops that once arrested me. And then I went into ministry, and we know we're in the right place. We're communicating. We were called to build that bridge, and there's nothing like that. And uh, But vision is the hard work that a lot of people aren't willing to do. It is the hardest thing I do, by the way. Just You'd probably say that too, Chris, is to sit down and say, Lord, give me wisdom for the next step. Help me paint the picture in my mind, because if I know what I want, I know what I, I desire I can start moving in that direction, right? And so prayer is one way. The word of God or listening to the five voices of God is, that's in the book, goes into detail. But what I mean by that, the five voices of God is something that I just, I may have coined the phrase, I don't know. But I talk about how we always run big decisions where to take that next step through a grid. And uh, that grid includes these, and this this actually came to me while we were here, before we left here, um, was the word of God. Stay in the word of God. You know what? When I was really frustrated and I was like, God, why are you giving me songs? Why are you? It don't always happen like this. But one day I did. I flipped the Bible open to Isaiah 66, 9, and I didn't know this scripture. 
And the scripture says, do I bring to the moment of birth and not give delivery, says the Lord? Do I close up the womb when I give delivery, says your God? Hmm? Now, I know that I'm taking that hugely out of context, but that was a word for me that day. Like, I didn't get you this far to drop you. And so the word of God, secondly, godly counsel, you know, talking to people, talking to people that that you can trust with your vision, uh, that can give you guidance, make an appointment with Pastor Chris or whoever that you can talk to and say, I'm thinking about this. I'm praying about this, that I might be called to do this. What do you think? A few will tell you you're crazy. That's all right. Some will say, hey, maybe it's not time yet. I got a few of those when we are along our journey. Another I've already mentioned is your own desire is a way that we hear from God. Um, Another way is through providential circumstances. Circumstances, things that are happening happening around you. Uh, I didn't mention this in the first service. Let me say this: There's a guy, named, a pastor named Peter Gomez. It's, he he said that vocation. Do you know the word vocation is actually the Latin word for the call of God? That's where that comes from. Um, it's the place where your great joy meets the world's great need. And so uh, our desires play a role in that providential circumstance and then ultimately the peace of God. Once you've done it all and you feel like, hey, man, I'm going to step out on this thing. And it might be, listen, you guys that are older and you got a little more gray hair and you're getting closer to the finish line. The Bible says that we're going to bear fruit even in old age. Come on. So we don't check out. Um, and so uh, the peace of God says in, in Colossians 3.15, let the peace of God or peace of Christ rule your hearts in Christ Jesus. So, so that word rule in the Greek means to be an umpire. That's exactly what the word means. If you look it up, what's the Greek word for rule? The peace. So even if you've done it all and you think you've heard from God and you're about to make that big move on whatever it may be, and it might not be to launch a business like Tim Williams. It might be to launch a ministry like what we've done. It might not be to build the church building like you guys have done here. It might be just to do a special event for kids that happened yesterday right here on this property. That's a vi- That began as a vision. Hey, in the middle of this virus thing, we can still do this. Let's step out and, and do this. If you're off base, what do umpires do? They blow the whistle when you step out of bounds or break a rule. And I believe that's what's being said in the scripture, that if you're out of line with what God wants you to do, you know, we almost left this church, by the way, prematurely. I had the opportunity to go be a, those that were here in the early days, you know, there was chaos, there was problems and I wanted out, man, but I didn't see, I mean, I I love what we were doing and who we were doing it with, but other things that were going on, it was just, wasn't cool. And, uh, and plus things that happened with, with our family, just some bad stuff went down and and I had an opportunity to go work for a Methodist church in downtown Martinsburg that wanted me to do a street outreach, which is right up my alley. And they were going to pay me X amount of dollars. Well, the pastor that was here said he was good with it, if that's what you feel called to do. Every, all I checked all these five voices of God I'm talking about. I made a check by all of them. They were all good. I was I met with three months of effort. Are we supposed to do this? Prayer. Is this the time to do it? And, uh, and I met with a bunch of young people and the pastor at this church downtown and it got to where I was going to sign a contract for ministry at that church. And right before the pen hit the paper, the umpire blew the whistle. And I said, can I take this home and pray about it? I think we stayed another year and a half, two years. <laughs> God will be faithful. Uh, but all that played into the next thing and the next thing. You get anything out of that? Hope so. I want to say this. I'm only a minute over time. 
But this book was written in response to a man I met in your lobby who became the avatar, the example in my mind of who I was writing for. He was a man that was miserable in his work. He was doing it. He had a family. He was doing a good job. But he felt like I'm, I'm supposed to, you know, I want to do something else. I want to get a dream to do something else. I'm not just trying to pay the bills. He was in law enforcement in a fairly liberal county a good ways from here, which is a tough job these days, isn't it? And he became, a, he made a donation to our ministry after I left here, we left here, and I didn't even remember his name. And I, I typed him, I said, hey man, I, I apologize, but where do I know you from? And he reminded me we met back here. And I, he knew I'd been a cop and what I had to say the last time I was here vibed with him. And so I began to kind of send him little words every now and then just to encourage him. And, and he continued to give to our ministry. Sometimes he scared me as much as he was giving because he had a family and he was only a cop, you know. I was like, dude, we'll take it. Don't get me wrong. And, uh, and about uh, less than a month ago, the Lord opened the door for him and his family to move to Hilton Head, South Carolina. He's a stay-at-home dad running his own uh, social media business, and his wife got a killer job and uh, just stepped into what he wanted to do. He wanted to get out of that job for now. He wasn't running from it. He just felt like he wasn't called to it anymore. And so uh, I think that some of the things in this book, if you're in that kind of condition, like, you know what? I think I'm supposed to be changing gears soon. It might help you. So check it out. Let me know what you think.